and welcome to another episode of Shadow Talk, Digital Shadows, Weekly Cyber Threat Intelligence and Information Security Podcast. This week, I'm joined by Ivan. How are you doing, Ivan? Doing great, man. Thanks for having me. We also have our CISO, Rick Holland, on the line. How are you doing, Rick? Hello. Good to be here, everybody. Thank you for joining us, as always. And we also have a new member of the Photon family, and that, of course, is Nicole. So welcome to Shadow Talk, Nicole. Uh, Really great to have you on. Um, Please, if you've you've got time, I'm sure you have, (laughs) please tell our listeners um, a little about yourself. Well, hi. Um, It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, Like you said, my, my name is Nicole. I am a senior cyber threat intelligence analyst here at Shadow or at uh, Digital Shadows. And previous to this, um, some of you may know me as the author of the children's book, The Mighty Threat Intelligence Warrior. Um, I'm also the creator of the Cognitive Stairways of Analysis Framework. And uh, I also uh, maintain a blog uh, at threathuntergirl.com. So that's a little bit, a little bit more about me. Fantastic. Really, really great to have you on. Um, I can't wait to get my hands on the book. Um, I have a a little boy and yeah, trying to describe what I do for a job is difficult. So yeah, really looking forward to to showing that and actually, I guess, describing it um, in a detail that he can understand. Um, So uh, welcome. Uh, As always, it's been a busy week in the world of CTI. We've had indications of the infamous Mirai botnet has used the Spring for Shell Java bug to infect vulnerable web servers. Uh, There's also been reports that the Pegasus spyware has been directed against several politicians within Europe. Uh, So this includes against the UK government, the European Parliament, and also notably several individuals campaigning for Catalan independence from Spain. We've also observed that the Reval ransomware group may be back. So Reval servers were restored after months of inactivity and redirected to Uh, Another operation that appears to have started since at least mid-December in last year. So one to monitor going forwards, but, you know, really could represent uh, significant development in the cyber extortion landscape. And while we're on the topic of ransomware, security researchers have found a connection between the Conti ransomware and the recently emerged Karakut extortion group showing that the two gangs are essentially part of the same operation. Uh, As I'm sure many of our listeners are aware, Conti Ransomware Syndicate is one of the most prolific cybercriminal groups today and continues to generate a significant operational tempo, largely despite uh, a massive leak of internal conversations and, and source code related to the group's operations in recent months. So you've probably heard us talking about the Conti chat logs uh, in some detail on recent podcasts. And Karakurt uh, are a data extortion group. Um, They've been around since June 2021. The focus is on stealing data from companies and forcing them to pay a ransom by threatening to publish that information. So starting with you, Ivan, um, could you tell us more about the security researchers' findings and how they made this connection between the two groups? Uh, Sure, yeah. So the security researchers, they gained access to Conti servers uh, through multiple compromised Proton Mail and Mega Upload accounts. And then after they gained access, they found a FileZilla FTP client that connected to many of Conti's remote servers. And it just turns out one of the IP address uh, in, in the FTP client was the IP address of the Karakurt data leakage website. And the researchers, they observed that some key Conti members, they were actually uploading data to Karakurt's data leakage website. 
but that wasn't all. There was another security company called Arctic Wolf, Arctic Wolf and uh, they reported that Karakurt, they, they were sending payments to Conti crypto wallets. And many of the wallets that were owned by Karakurt were actually hosted by a Conti wallet. So as we can see, there's a lot of evidence that Karakurt and Conti, uh, they're working very closely together and uh, they could be business partners or maybe they could simply even be the same group. Uh, there have been rumors that uh, Karakurt is actually a side project of Conti and that they are used to leak data when Conti fails to encrypt information uh, during its attacks. So as we can see, it's a very interesting uh, finding. Yeah, definitely. And I guess it's not unusual for ransomware groups to have these side projects, as you, as you just alluded to, to kind of attack the same victims multiple times or have another angle on how they're going to extort victims. Uh, I Extortion do wonder... side hustles. Everyone's got a side hustle now. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way to do it. Right. You know, come at it from multiple angles. Um, I guess um, it's been a real roller coaster for, for Conti as of late. Um, Ivan, why do you think Conti are continually suffering these kind of operational breaches? Uh, yeah. So this is the second time in two months that Conti suffers from a major data breach. Uh, but uh, it's likely that uh, these incidents are related in one way or another because the security company, they actually did say that they gained access to their infrastructure. Uh, shortly after the Conti, lack, Conti chat leaks occurred. So that suggests that maybe the company leveraged the information they found in these chats to gain initial access uh, to Conti's infrastructure. But uh, most, important, most importantly, this highlights the success of offensive operations by law enforcement and uh, security professionals. Uh, researchers are fighting back and uh, just like a business is vulnerable to cyber attacks, so is a ransomware business. And I think the Conti has learned that the hard way. In your opinion, is ransomware activity as a whole kind of more intertwined than researchers might currently have an appreciation for? Uh, yeah, you know, I believe that it is. There's a lot of different groups out there, uh, and but they all have collaborated with each other in one way or another. And uh, this has been happening for many, many years. And we can even look back to when the Maze Cartel was formed, which included Maze, Lockbit, and Ragnar Locker. And all of these ransomware groups, they worked together and leaked data on the Maze data leakage website. Uh, we often see affiliates moving from group to group and taking their knowledge and taking their expertise with them. And there's also a ransomware-focused forum now called Ramp, where all these affiliates can recruit, sorry, all these groups can recruit affiliates and they can talk to each other and uh, shared their knowledge. So as we can see, there's a lot of ransomware groups out there, but they are all a lot closer than we might think. Absolutely. Um, Rick, Nicole, any thoughts from you guys on this particular one? Do you think this is gonna have a, a particular you know, impact on Conti's activities or are they gonna continue you know, as they have been for the, the past few years? It's like Hydra, man. Chop off the, what's the quote? I can't remember, cut off the head and another one comes. Um, I mean, I, I get encouraged by law enforcement activities or Microsoft sinkholing, you know, malicious C2, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it's a drop in the bucket. You know, it's, it's better than nothing. But I think for most companies and their threat models, you know, disruption of, of threat actors like that doesn't have a huge impact on my day-to-day -day and what security controls. I still need to do multi-factor authentication. I need to, you know, have ACLs on my external facing services on who can connect to them and things along those lines. So I think big picture, it's nice. It's a good story. 
I think for a defender on a keyboard, it doesn't have uh, as immediate, you know, tactical impact to them. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely interesting for, for threat intelligence professionals like us, but to incident responders, you know, perhaps isn't going to make that much of a difference in the in the grand scheme of things. Um, we'll move on to the, the next story of interest for today. And industrial um, cybersecurity firm uh, Dragos have released details of the uh, Cernovite, I'm going to call it Cernovite activity group um, that developed the Pipe Dream malware, uh, which is a modular industrial control system attack framework um, that an adversary can use to kind of cause disruption, degradation, or even destruction, uh, depending on the, the targets and their environments. And um, the initial um, ICS tailored malware uh, is assessed to be developed by a state actor, uh, and that's been identified uh, for this intended purpose. So, you know, of course, ICS malware has kind of really been a bit of a flavor of the month at the moment because we've seen uh, the Indestroyer malware being used against the energy sector within Ukraine. Um, so really significant event there. Um, so the first question I want to pose to, to you, Nicole, is, um, you know, what exactly do we know so far about this particular group, Cernovite, and the, uh, the pipe dream uh, malware that's come out of this uh, reporting? So... We don't know too much about the group other than they, they definitely have an in-depth amount of knowledge about ICS and environments, uh, more so than the average threat group that would be targeting um, ICS environments, you know, like with ransomware or, or the typical malware. Um, there was a report um, on, uh, I believe, Wired, where someone from Dragos mentioned that there was multiple zero days involved in the uh, malware kit, um, which is, you know, an indication that it's a very sophisticated group. Um, and this is a report on the 14th of April did state that they do believe it is a, you know, a nation state actor. Um, and in terms of the actual uh, malware kit itself, um, we don't have a lot of information about how this malware kit was identified or, or discovered, but it does look like it hasn't been um, activated or deployed in any attack uh, to date. Uh, but it is particularly concerning because it does have disruptive qualities as well as destructive qualities. So it can not only disrupt operations, but it, it could also like brick devices and things like that. Yeah, I guess uh, you just mentioned the nation state. The um, ICS uh, malware is, is more typically associated with that level of actor. Um, would you say that targeting ICS is, is commonplace? You know, what are the motivations of group that, groups that might want to conduct this sort of activity? I think it's, it's commonplace in terms of, of there is a high risk associated with targeting this type of uh, environment. So it could be a juicy target for like, say a ransomware group. Um, I know like Ragnar Locker in particular is, a, is a, a group that loves to target ICS or critical infrastructure um, because they know, you know what's at stake and they, and they hope maybe that will lead to a ransom payment sooner. Um, however, it's not common to see this level of sophistication associated with a, um, an ICS type attack. This, I believe they said it, uh, Dragov stated that it's the seventh known malware developed specifically to target um, ICS environments, which is saying a lot if you think about, you know, just the malware um, landscape in general. 
Yeah, if it's just a seventh type, then uh, that is particularly rare indeed, isn't it? Um, what can defenders do to, to stay ahead of the curve with regards to this particular attack? Or ICS malware in general, I guess. So definitely keeping up to date on um, just general password security, changing passwords regularly. Don't uh, keep default passwords on any devices. Uh, ensuring you have continuous monitoring on the operational technology or OT uh, devices, um, and then just enforcing multi-factor authentication whenever possible. And the other thing that I would really recommend is just keeping up with the news and, and intelligence on this as it develops. The the, the blog that Dragos did um, was really good with some very specific, you know, OT environment type of suggestions in there. Mandy and also did a blog as well. So I think continue to, to follow the experts that have incident responders in the field working on these environments that are doing, you know, MSSP type of activity for those environments as well. I would definitely uh, follow them on Twitter, you know, hit like and subscribe um, on, on those, those vendors. Sounds good. Would you say, Rick, with the uh, the current kind of threat landscape, with everything that's going on with like you know, Russia and Ukraine, obviously, you know, relations between the US and Russia at an all time low, would you say that threats to kind of ICS targets are, are greater at this time or is it is it always been kind of in the background? Well, I think what we would say intelligence preparation of the battlefield is always going on and is always in the background. You know, we're doing it. Israel's doing it. The UK is doing it. Russia, China. Uh, so on and so forth. But I, I think the likelihood that a tool could be executed, you know, uh, or a campaign uh, get tasks from, you know, the, the the big governments and stuff like that are higher than they've been in the past. I think we have to be careful not to, to be complacent. You know, it's now been, was it a month ago today that the Biden administration did their first um, warning on evolving in air quotes, um, intelligence that Russia was considering their options. And we saw, you know, more commentary on that in the past week as well. You know, just because we haven't seen something yet doesn't mean it hasn't happened um, or that we should be complacent. I mean, I think the good news there is you're not really just preparing for a specific Russian threat in general. The things that you do to protect your environment will protect against all threats um, and the same would be true in the, the ICS OT world, right? You, you, you follow the, the fundamental recommendations there. It's going to help you against Russian hackers, Iranian, you know, whoever the, the case may be. But obviously Russia with black energy and what they've done, you know, this year has ex is an extremely capable threat actor when it comes to targeting, you know, energy ICS environments. So certainly the threat model for that sector is you know it is shields up to quote CISA and kind of red alert and and probably a lot of uh, you know security leaders and defenders that are apprehensive right now. Yeah, I think the key point you made there is that you know any improvements you can make for this specific threat is just going to have a massive impact on several other threats as well. Um, and you know extra points for you for getting the Star Trek references in there as well. I definitely appreciate that one. Um, we'll move on to the the last item of today and something uh, a little different from destructive malware and ransomware. Um, and multiple bodies within the US have warned that the North Korean hacking group Lazarus is targeting organizations in the cryptocurrency and blockchain industries with Trojanized 
cryptocurrency applications. So in this particular case, the attackers used social engineering to trick employees of cryptocurrency companies into downloading and running malicious Windows and macOS cryptocurrency apps. And then Lazarus operators use these Trojanize updates to gain access to the target's computers, spread malware throughout the networks, uh, steal private keys um, that allowed uh, fraudulent blockchain transactions uh, and actually stealing the victim's crypto assets from their wallets. Um, so pretty serious stuff. And obviously we've seen Lazarus Group do this kind of thing quite a lot in the past. Um, Rick, could you tell us about the risks associated with the crypto uh, and NFT platforms and the sort of cryptocurrency industry in general? I'm going to turn it back to you because you just did a blog on it. I'll, I'll run through a history of North Korea operations and stuff like that. Sure. Um, but, you know, I think we should highlight what you just released this week, especially around the NFTs, because as I recall, like you did a digital art of yourself and you NFT'd Chris Morgan on OpenSea, um, which I'm just announcing now. He's selling it uh, for just uh, 500,000 pounds. So it's quite affordable if you're interested, any listeners out there. Sounds good to me. Yeah, anywhere in that region, I'll be uh, taking off. So got some nice holidays to plan. I've got to sort some things out in my house. So yeah, if you want to buy that one, go for it. Um, yeah, do you, do you want to go through uh, Lazarus Group and then I'll, I'll talk about my yeah, recent yeah. Well, North Korea is just kind of an interesting threat group in general. I mean, I think a lot of, it's certainly mainstream. It's 2014 with Sony Pictures and um, that wonderful movie, The Interview, which it was just, I think, it was a bad movie in in in, in general um but we we got introduced to our friends the guardians of peace which was you know north korean cutout and they you know you think about now and these data leak sites and you know ivan was just mentioning them a little bit and i know photons always tracking the data leak sites i mean they were i mean north korea has been leaking stuff since 2014 um with that sony pictures hack it really made people think about data retention a little bit more and think about your emails as a liability and do you want to just keep data into into perpetuity um and then of course in 2017 we saw um wanna cry you know they had to get in on the uh warmable warmable act actions there and then of course i mean chris i'm sure you'll remember quite well with the uh nhs and the uk being Im uh, impacted by that quite significantly as well um there's been a, a long history of operations and i don't think people think this way anymore more but you've almost thought of that you, you can see the people discussing north korea is kind of like a oh it's a backward nation and there's so such such there's such poverty there and things like that like how could they do stuff but you know they have very sophisticated cyber capabilities in 2019 the un did a report where they had said um uh, they, they had stolen two billion dollars across 35 attacks one of which many of the listeners will be probably familiar with was the uh, swift attack in bangladesh and in that one alone it was 81 million uh dollars of funds that they've stolen so north korea and it's not just lazarus group there's other groups as well because in 2019 as well um the the u.s government uh did sanctions there and called out actually three three threat groups um that were doing this type of data theft um and data destruction of course going back to to those events uh, but north korea is basically to circumvent sanctions has gone to stealing currency now bangladesh was swift it was going after the swift system they since transitioned into um, the crypto world as this, this announcement from last week 
indicates. But even in February of last year, so just over a year ago, you know, we indicted in the U.S. three different um, um, actors for stealing 1.3 billion in cryptocurrency against a bunch of different sectors. And then now, of course, we've got the the one from last week that you kind of alluded to, uh, which, of course, this a good example on that one is like the initial access vector was phishing, spear phishing, right? So instead of chasing threat du jour and stuff like that, like let's let's if you can if you can strengthen your initial access detections and prevention, it doesn't matter if it's you know a Russian actor, an Iranian actor, an American actor, whoever wh- whoever it is that's out there, you know you're going to protect yourself. Um, but you, it seems like uh, you don't go more than a a month without some huge you know, theft of a crypto platform. Um, we had a DeFi one last week, you know, our friends at Elliptic and we've had uh, Tom from Elliptic, Elliptic on the podcast before. And, and, you know, they're very focused on on this sort of stuff. So if you're, if you want to get deep into the crypto stuff and what threat actors are doing, I, I definitely say check out Elliptic. They're doing a lot of great stuff there. So, you know, North Korea is going to continue this activity um, for sure, because it's, you know, it's a huge revenue stream for them. Absolutely. Yeah. And and you know, going back to the uh, the kind of report and uh, it's linked with the, the NFTs, um, my understanding of NFTs is it's obviously gone through the roof uh, since I kind of did this blog. Uh, I think before I just kind of had the, the usual impression of, oh, well, it's just people selling monkeys online with pictures and things of that nature. Um, but you know, my understanding is is basically it's it's a digital receipt recording ownership of, of kind of digital and physical assets. Many of these, um, as Rick just alluded to, can be quite a bit of money. Uh, there's a lot of money being exchanged, and as a result, it's going to attract the interest of cyber criminal actors, and in this case, a nation state actor who have the motivation of you know getting a financial gain. Um, you know, other links that that we kind of went through in the blog were the association between um, NFTs and wash trading. So wash trading is something I I hadn't come across before, but basically it's uh, a transaction in which the cyber criminal actually owns both sides of the transaction. So they have the buyer account and they have the the seller account. Um, And the issue really here is that many of these NFT and these crypto platforms don't have good identification processes in place. So they don't have like know your customer processes. Um, And as a result, you know, you can facilitate money laundering through this particular practice. You can then sell on the NFT for an inflated price because people look at the the history of the NFT and think, oh, well, this has generated value over time. But what they don't know is this essentially one person selling the the particular uh, digital item between themselves or between their own accounts. So, um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed kind of looking into this, but. Um, not surprising that Lazarus Group will uh, will be going after them and the amount of money that's been held on these platforms. One um one thing I, I think I've mentioned on Shadow Talk Shadow Talk before, but you know we have a history, especially Infosec Twitter, of poo pooing on new tech and oh it's the blockchain and there's almost been a not almost there's been like this anti blockchain campaign on social media. I remember an article I wrote in 2019 on Dark Reading. I titled it "Stop Mocking and Start Enabling Emerging Technologies." Um, because, you know, we sit back, you know, in the anonymity of our keyboards and we, you know, you know, talk, talk S about, uh, different new technologies, blockchains is, is one of them. Meanwhile, if you're in the financial services sector, you know, cryptocurrency can, has the, has the ability 
and is disrupting the traditional payment system, fiat currencies. It's a huge disruptor. Um, and, you know, I put, I put something I was looking at my notes right now. It's like, we're disconnected from reality. As we do that, we need to find out what new tech our companies are implementing, be able to do assessments on it so that we can secure and defend it. Um, and I, I put in, in the blog, I had cryptocurrency, but you know, autonomous vehicles, consumer IoT, 5G, 3D printing, drones, all this type of new technology that's out there. And I think if you look at if you look at some of these big thefts, you will see a lot of underlying vulnerabilities in the blockchain technology or the technology that connects two different block, two disparate blockchains together so that they can talk. There's, I mean, if it runs code, it's vulnerable. So now you have this rush to get this new code out, this new paradigm. I don't mean that like jokingly, but it is a big shift here. So security teams need to understand this. Um, and on in, NFTs, right, uh, in particular, you know, if you're in the legal sector, like, you know, you're having to do stuff with contracts and things along those lines, you know, there's a very real possibility that NFTs could, you know, replace a lot of the, the contracts and agreements between multiple parties. So, uh, you know, it's, I, my recommendation is let's not scoff at new technology. Let's see if the organization you're defending is going to be implementing it and get with the CTOs that are out there, get with the the developers that are writing things for the blockchain and understand. I mean, heck, we do AppSec poorly in known languages and known applications and things like that. Now we have, you know, another type of development that's happening. And you can see, like, you can go on to GitHub. I mean, actually, people that invest in crypto will do this. They'll look and see, you know, what uh, what developers are working on the projects the most, and then they'll use that to invest in their projects. But, you know, find out what projects your company is working on and have a conversation. Start start figuring out because what you don't want is your company to roll out something and then you you halt it because there's a vuln and you can't you know go live with it. Or worse yet, you roll something out and then someone steals a hundred million dollars from you and then damages your brand and then people switch on to something different. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. You know, we we shouldn't just criticize this emerging technology because, you know, you have this this one particular view set of it. I think we're just getting to the point of understanding what use cases NFTs can be used for. And here's another blog that I want to do in the future, but looking at the metaverse and how that will increase in the future, I think it's inevitable. Um, you know, moving into an increasingly digital world and the, the role that NFTs can have in that environment as well, um, allowing people to kind of customize, you know, the individual, um, you, you know, avatars, whatever they have, or the, the, the properties and the, the kind of environments that they're creating on this metaverse. I think that NFTs have a, a really big role to play in that. And as you were saying as well, you know, I think I remember a PR response you did a while back, Rick, and we were talking about the cryptocurrency kind of world in general and how it's in, essentially in this, this space of being heavily unregulated. And then you've got these naive investors. Things are changing so quickly and inevitably there will be vulnerabilities as that infrastructure is created and these threat actors are, are taking full advantage of that. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think we need to get ahead of it because I feel like in the past when new technologies come out and, and we don't immediately, you know, educate ourselves, then we're scrambling after something bad happens and we're, you know, creating policies and, and things like that. Absolutely. Um, uh, one question that kind of came up uh, during our discussion earlier in the week about this is um, uh, we've obviously talked about Russia and Ukraine briefly uh, on this pod. Um, with them, with that country feeling 
you know, significant strains from the impact of, of Western sanctions. Could you see Russian actors perhaps taking a page from North Korea's book and conducting similar financial heists in the future? Well, certainly they have the capability. You know, Russian actors are some of the most sophisticated actors in cyberspace uh, there. I mean, heck, if I'm any country that's looking, you know, that 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 has no, you know, ethical reason to keep them from going after it like i'd follow the north korean playbooks if i wanted to to circumvent sanctions for sure um that that's a good thing so i think it is something we need to be on the lookout i guess the good news for anyone related to the crypto space is the types of controls that they would put in place and if you look at their threat models you know a lot of the things they want to defend against it wouldn't matter if it was a north korean threat actor or if it was a russian threat actor or if it was an iranian threat actor right we, we talked about in that um that CISA alert last week it was spear phishing is how they started right so the the good news for them is you know their threat model will apply to a lot of the actors that might try to come in and commit fraud against them steal from them steal from their customers so i'd say it's 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 possible. I don't know how likely it is, just depending on what they want to focus on. But if they had, they have the capability if they if they have the intent to do it, and they could execute those types of attacks. Yeah, I guess from the Russians' perspective, they're really hoping they don't have to go down that road and commit those sorts of attacks. And again, it goes back to the same point we we're making earlier. You know, the the changes you can make on these specific threats can really help remediate the the impact and the likelihood of of so many different threats as well. Um, Nicole, Ivan, any closing thoughts from you guys on this one? Um, well, I think you guys covered it pretty well. It's one of those things, you know, anytime we have any new emerging technology, threat actors, they see that as dollar signs. They see that as potential initial access vectors. So we do have to stay on top of it. We do have to make sure that we're taking proper care. And before we implement anything new in our system and uh, before we start dealing with cryptocurrency, that we're being very careful to make sure that we're not exposing ourselves to greater danger. And I think exactly what Rick said, you know, it really doesn't matter who is behind, you know, uh, the attack. We should be focusing on how they're doing it and preparing ourselves. But I do want to say it, it will be interesting to see as more sanctions, you know, uh, are placed on Russia, you know, will that lead them to, you know, follow in North Korea's footsteps um, and, you know, carry out some more financial, you know, attacks. So it, it will be interesting to follow um, uh, based on, you know, why North Korea has been, you know, targeting that since all their all of their uh, sanctions and whatnot. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see if history repeats itself again. Yes, absolutely. And uh, perhaps one we can explore in a bit more detail, actually, we, we should be having another Russia and Ukraine podcast next week uh, that I'll be hosting. So uh, definitely one we can we can look at again. Um, I'll just quickly mention as we close the, the blogs we have released for this week. So obviously there's the NFT blog we just discussed uh, and how NFTs have been linked with money laundering, uh, financial crimes, tax avoidance, all those good things. Uh, we also have the monthly What We're Reading This Month blog, uh, which discusses um, a couple of APT groups. So one uh, linked to Iran, uh, the Muddy Water APT, and also the Russian Sandworm APT, who've been associated with the Indestroyer malware. And we also have a Data in CTI blog detailing the tools and techniques that are used by digital shadows to convert raw, chaotic data into valuable intelligence for our clients. Uh, that's all from us today. 
Um, I'd like to take this chance to thank Ivan, Rick and Nicole for joining me. Uh, and of course, all of you for listening. Be safe, take care, and we'll see you soon. Goodbye. <laughs>